0: This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network, and you're listening to The Flagship Show with Eric Woods. Welcome back to our celebration of John Williams's 90th birthday right here on the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. John Williams turns 90 on February 8th, 2022. This is part five of this mammoth six-part podcast series. During this part, we'll be featuring music from 1997 all the way through to 2004. Let's continue. Steven Spielberg's first film since 1993's Schindler's List was the sequel to Jurassic Park called The Lost World. Jeff Goldblum, co-star of the first film, was brought back to play Ian Malcolm, who, along with a research team, is sent to the Jurassic Park Site B Island to study the dinosaurs there. John Williams returned to score the film and along with the previous two Jurassic Park themes, also introduced a few other new themes and motifs, including a brand new, almost tribal theme for Site B. The main theme from 1997's The Lost World, Jurassic Park. That same year, John Williams would score John Singleton's Rosewood after Wynton Marcellus's original score was tossed. Williams didn't have much time to score the film, but still managed to create scintillating new thematic material, including three new gospel songs. One of the very best cues from the score is called Man at Rosewood, or also known by its original title, Sylvester Joins the Group, which opens with a Copland-esque horn call, leading into a gentle string passage, which leads to the score's main theme, and then ends on a triumphant note. Man at Rosewood or Sylvester Joins the Group From Rosewood, released in 1997. That same year, John Williams would craft arguably one of his finest dramatic scores for seven years in Tibet, which told the true story of Henrik Harrer, an Austrian mountain climber who becomes friends with the Dalai Lama at the time of China's takeover of Tibet. John Williams teamed up with world-renowned cellist Yo-Yo Ma to perform the cello solos for the film. Amongst all the great things John Williams can do in film music, I think we might sometimes forget how gifted he is as a musical dramatist. A sensational example of this is the music composed for a gut-wrenching scene in this film where Henrik leaves his pregnant wife to summit Parbit, also known as Killer Mountain. Williams' string writing, as always, is exquisite. You can feel the torment and pain in the cue. Williams brilliantly strips away most of the major orchestral elements and leaves solo piano and Yo-Yo Ma's cello while Heinrich travels on the train, alone in his cabin. In the film, about half of this cue was dialed out or edited, but I'd like to assume that the explosion of the score's main theme in the strings with added horns and winds takes place during the first glimpse of the mountain Heinrich is climbing. There aren't too many composers that can write and orchestrate for strings the way Williams does. We'll have more examples of Williams' exquisite string writing in this show, but this cue is a fine example of his mastery of that section of the orchestra. Here now is Leaving Ingrid from Seven Years in Tibet. Leaving Ingrid from 1997's Seven Years in Tibet, featuring cellist Yo-Yo Ma. 1997 would conclude with John Williams scoring Steven Spielberg's Amistad and supply the film with a catchy African-inspired choral piece called Dry Your Tears Africa. Williams recalled that when he was beginning to compose music for Amistad in July of 1997, a scholar friend had seen a book of poetry from East Africa in the library of Harvard University and showed it to Williams, who was caught by the power of the poem by Bernard Dadi from 1967 called Dry Your Tears Africa. The verses were written in English, but it was imperative that the song was sung in Mende, the language spoken by the African characters in the film. It's a beautiful piece that gets its first full rendition near the end of the film when Lomboko is liberated. Liberation of Lomboko From 1997's Amistad On the air and streaming on the web since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. In 1998, John Williams would re-team with Steven Spielberg for the World War II epic, Saving Private Ryan. This is one of the shortest scores John Williams has written for a Steven Spielberg film. In the latter notes, Spielberg is quoted as saying that restraint was Williams' primary objective, end quote. Spielberg would continue, quote, pay particular attention to Hymn to the Fallen, which never appears anywhere in the main text of the film, only in the end credit roll. It's a piece of music and a testament to John Williams's sensitivity and brilliance that in my opinion will stand the test of time and honor forever the fallen of this war and possibly all wars. Hymn to the Fallen is a beautiful orchestral choral piece that was actually written last and is, as John Williams says, a requiem to the lost. Hymn to the Fallen, from Saving Private Ryan, released in 1998. same year, John Williams would team up with Home Alone director Chris Columbus on the family drama Stepmom, starring Susan Sarandon and Julia Roberts. Williams wasn't the first composer hired. Patrick Doyle had already written a score, but it was tossed out. It was far too sentimental. Williams was brought in write something that would go against the tragedy in the film. Williams wrote an intimate score featuring guitarist Christopher Parkening. Days Between from Stepmom released in 1998 featuring guitarist Christopher Parkening. One year later, the unthinkable happened. In 1999, John Williams was returning to the Star Wars universe to provide brand new Star Wars music for the first time since 1983's Return of the Jedi. Actually, Williams wrote some new Star Wars music in 1997 for the special edition of Return of the Jedi when he replaced the original Ewok celebration music with a new piece called Victory Celebration, which can be heard on the special edition soundtrack release of Return of the Jedi. For The Phantom Menace, John Williams again composed a plethora of new themes. One for the bumbling idiot Jar Jar Binks, one for young Anakin Skywalker, one for the Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn, a Roja-esque fanfare for the flag parade that precedes the pod race, and a choral whisper for Darth Maul, which then would be reworked into one of the greatest pieces of music John Williams would ever compose, called Duel of the Fates. The Sensational Duel of the Fates From 1999's The Phantom Menace That same year, John Williams would receive an Academy Award nomination for his score to Angela's Ashes, based on the best-selling autobiography by Irish expat Frank McCourt. Angela's Ashes follows the experiences of young Frankie and his family as they try against all odds to escape the poverty endemic in the slums of pre-war Limerick. The score is superb and is highlighted by yet another outstanding piece for strings. Again, I don't think there's anyone in Hollywood that can write for strings the way John Williams can. Here is another great example of that. attract plenty of fish and chips in heaven. From the 1999 film, Angela's Ashes. You're listening to The Flagship Show on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network with your host, Eric Woods. In 2000, John Williams replaced David Arnold on Roland Emmerich's American Revolutionary War epic, The Patriot, starring Mel Gibson. David Arnold had written the score for three Emmerich films up to that point, and for some reason, Arnold wasn't retained for this film. So The Patriot gave John Williams the opportunity to bring out the very best of his Americana vocabulary and provided the film with one of the most outstanding end credit pieces ever heard, which opens with a fiddle melody that in my opinion, is one of the finest melodies of all time. The end credits from The Patriot, released in 2000. In 2001, John Williams would team up with Steven Spielberg once again, this time for the futuristic drama, AI, artificial intelligence, about a childlike Android uniquely programmed with the ability to love. The film, along with Empire of the Sun, is one of Steven Spielberg's most misunderstood films and it took me a few viewings myself to finally get it. John Williams wrote one of his most unique scores of his career, mixing tonality, atonality, electronics and postmodern minimalism. There's also some purposeful classical quotes, including one that was demanded by Kubrick before he died. He wanted Richard Strauss to be used in the film. So John Williams found a place for the Rosen Cavalier for about 30 seconds just before entering Rouge City. It's a very interesting and tasteful quote of that piece. One of the major highlights of the score is the Loving Lullaby, called Where Dreams Are Born, written for the film's end credits. dreams are born from the 2001 film, AI, Artificial Intelligence. That same year, John Williams composed a new theme for ExxonMobil Masterpiece Theaters American Collection for films based on American literary works. The theme, which was performed by cellist Yo-Yo Ma and members of the Boston Symphony Orchestra, made its debut on October 25, 2000. But in April 2001, Yo-Yo Ma and John Williams recorded the extended 3 minute and 29 second version of the American Collection theme with the Recording Artist Orchestra of Los Angeles on the Sony scoring stage. This new recording is included on the album Classic Yo Yo. the American collection theme for Masterpiece Theatre, written in 2001. 2001 would end with the premiere of one of the biggest and most memorable film scores of John Williams' career. Remember, this is the same guy who wrote instantly recognizable themes for Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and Jaws, just to name a few. What else could he pull from his sleeve? Well, the answer is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Based on J.K. Rowling's popular book, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone would be directed by Christopher Columbus. Columbus's first choice to score the film was John Williams. Now, interestingly enough, John Williams had already read the book, which was rare for Williams. And Williams was signed just before filming began. Now, usually, Williams would watch the film before beginning to compose, but in this case, he was tasked with scoring an advanced trailer for the film, so he wrote for that trailer what would eventually be the signature theme for the series. Hedwig's Theme, written for Harry's Snowy White Owl. Music from Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. That was Hedwig's theme, written in 2001. On the air and streaming on the web since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. In 2002, John Williams returned to the Star Wars franchise to score Attack of the Clones. For the film, director George Lucas wanted a strong, lush, romantic theme for the forbidden romantic relationship between Padme and Anakin. Lucas called it Star Wars' first love theme, but we all know that Han and Leia's love theme for The Empire Strikes Back was the first. The Beautiful Across the Stars from Attack of the Clones, released in 2002. The next film in 2002 was for Steven Spielberg's Minority Report, based on Philip K. Dick's short story. It's about a group of investigators who try to prevent crimes before they're committed. The film stars Tom Cruise. The score, Williams wrote, is a fast-paced, dark, futuristic film noir that was almost devoid of something that is a staple in most Spielberg-Williams collaborations, and that's a lush melody. Now, there is, later on, a theme for Anderton's lost son, Sean, the majority of the score is about mystery and suspense, with a bit of pulse-pounding action sprinkled throughout. the run from Minority Report, released in 2002. Now we are not done with 2002 because Spielberg released two films that year. The second was The Crime Caper Catch Me If You Can, starring Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio. The film is based on the autobiography of Frank Abagnale, who allegedly, before his 19th birthday, successfully performed cons worth millions of dollars by posing as a Pan-American World Airways pilot, a Georgia doctor, and a Louisiana parish prosecutor. Williams returned to his jazz roots and wrote this dynamite main title piece. (laughs) Main title, from Catch Me If You Can, released in 2002. This year ends with the sequel to Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone called Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Now, we just witnessed how busy John Williams was in 2002, so Williams brought in some help to help him complete the score in the way of composer, orchestrator, and conductor William Ross. Ross would help fill in tiny gaps in the score, mainly with reworked previously existing material from the first film. Now, John Williams still composed a hefty amount for this film, including numerous new themes, including one for Gilderoy Lockhart, uh, the Chamber of Secrets itself, Dobby the House Elf, Moaning Myrtle, and finally, one for Fox the Phoenix, the headmaster Dumbledore's beautiful mythological phoenix who occasionally bursts into flames and then is reborn. Music from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. That was the concert version of Fox the Phoenix, written for the film's end titles, released in 2002. On the air and streaming on the web since 1996, this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Moving ahead to 2004, John Williams would work on two more films. The first for Steven Spielberg's romantic comedy, The Terminal, about an Eastern European man, played by Tom Hanks, stranded in an airport. The score features an incredible ethnic-sounding main theme for clarinet and orchestra. But most importantly, the score would allow Williams to return to his jazz roots once again when composing this achingly beautiful new, incredibly personal theme called jazz autographs. Jazz autographs from the 2004 film The Terminal, featuring Randy Kerber on piano and Michael Valerio on bass. The last score we will be featuring during this part is arguably the best score in the entire Harry Potter series. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. It's also the best film in the series as well. This would be the third and final Harry Potter film for John Williams. Chris Columbus, who directed the first two films, left the director's chair to Alfonso Cuaron. Before filming, Williams wrote the score's central main theme, Double Trouble, and recorded it for playback on the set. For the score itself, Williams essentially issued all the themes from Philosopher's Stone and Chamber of Secrets, which was a rare departure for Williams, who I've told you throughout this series would usually, almost always, bring back previous themes while introducing new ones for the sequels. Hedwig's theme from the first film is really the only theme brought back into this third score. Koran was actually the one that essentially pushed Williams to go in a new direction with the score. Along with Double Trouble, Williams wrote two more prominent main themes, a window to the past, which is a successor to the family theme from the first two films, second for Buckbeak, a magical winged creature called a hippogriff, a half-eagle, half-horse, whose melody soars when Harry and Buckbeak first take flight. That's it for part five of our six-part tribute to composer John Williams. On our final episode of the series, We're going to feature music from 2005 to 2019, including selections from Munich, Memoirs of a Geisha, Revenge of the Sith, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, The Adventures of Tintin, The Secret of the Unicorn, the sequel Star Wars trilogy, and many more. My name is Eric Woods. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. And until next time, take care, wherever you are in this world, and happy listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the show and to David Cassina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's intro music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Radio on Twitter, at Cinematic Sound on Facebook, and from wherever you're listening to us today, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. Reviews help introduce potential new listeners to the show. While you're at it, head over to T Public to find yourself a Cinematic Sound Radio T-shirt and support us on Patreon by going to Patreon.com/CinematicSoundRadio, and don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at CinematicSound.net.